I'm going to be reading today from the book of First, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, um, Second Timothy is a little book towards the back of your New Testament. Um, you start getting to Hebrews, you've gone too far. I'm going to read the first several verses of this, and then we'll pray, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll we'll jump in and see what God has for us today. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. For I know the one in whom I have put my trust. I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our brother Paul, and we thank you that, that these words that he wrote so many years ago to his disciple, to his son, to his friend and partner, that these words still... Um, can mean so much to us today because they're carried along with your breath, with your spirit. They come to us today, Lord, as words from you. And so we open ourselves to that. We remind ourselves of that. And that of all the words coming at us today and this week, and there's a lot, Millions and millions of words coming at us. These words come from you to us. So, Lord, we gather around them and we warm ourselves by the fire of your word to us. We pray for an open ear. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Um, Something I never get used to in my life with Jesus, my, my discipleship, is how quickly... Um, my passion for God can can wane, can go away. Um, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I mean, relatively speaking, 
so for 30 years, basically, I've been, a, I've been a Christian. And so for 30 years, I've been reading my Bible and going to church, worshiping, learning to pray, trying to pray. And um, at some points along that 30-year timeline, I have felt at times like I am just plugged straight into the power source. Do you know what I mean? I, ho- I hope you know what I mean. Like, I, I hope you won't settle until you know what I mean. Like, when you know deep in your bones that God is real, his love is not an abstraction, the Trinity is not theology, uh, but actually the gospel is not a fairy tale, it's not a myth, it is real historic event that is the story that we now live in. The Holy Spirit is not an idea, it's not a concept, it's a person at work in this room, as we just sang, moving in our midst and healing hearts and turning lives around. The Holy Spirit is really here. I hope, you, I hope you won't settle until you know what it's like to be plugged straight into the power source. To just imagine, and I know sometimes there's so much resistance right now. I mean, for some of us, we're just, we just feel like we might as well be on the other side of a 30-foot deep wall between us and God. But just to, for me to just try to implore with you to believe God is in this moment, he is leaning all the way into you. He isn't. He's not distracted. His arms aren't folded. He's not looking at something else, he is all the way leaning in towards you right now. And sometimes I know that. And when you know that, man, <laughs> you're like, this is what life is about. But then just as quickly and just as unexplainably as those things can come, they can go away. And the, th- and the thing that had once felt so, so alive, the sense of God's presence and nearness and uh, suddenly feels so dry, like whereas all of life had just been pregnant with life and opportunity, suddenly everything feels lifeless and prayer and worship now become tedious, fruitless tasks. You know, worship just feels like I'm just running through motions. And, and it's like, how did this happen? How did I go from being so confident in one moment to so unsure the next moment? How did I go from having such a deep sense of like a light, aliveness with God to like such a, a staggering and questioning like, you know, I thought I heard the Spirit, and I, I know I've heard God's voice, and then like, but then I can't hear the Spirit, and, and then you start to wonder, have I ever heard the Spirit, or have I just been fooling myself my whole life? You know? Do you know what I mean? Um, I have a little boy, my littlest boy is Asher. He's four, almost five. He's a lightning bolt of a human being, and he's, um, he is uh, fearless. He's a lion. He uh, literally growls. He... Um, he is full of life and energy. He's he's reckless, and uh, and and very emo- emotive, very expressive. Just feels things all the way. And when he feels safe, he giggles and laughs and runs and takes risks and jumps and is like this incredible source of fuel. Like you could fuel our house on it. And then I see him though at times. Like it's so funny because like we'll take him to school or like I'll see him in public or even sometimes at home and he'll get embarrassed or he'll start to feel afraid. And the safety that he did feel that sort of funded this deep internal I'm able to do anything suddenly is away and he makes himself small. He sits by himself. He pulls away. Like how is it possible to be so sure of a thing one minute and then so unsure of something the next minute, where you begin to question things all over again? And one of the things that I've just never gotten used to in my life with Jesus is how both of those things can live side by side in the same week. In the letter that we're starting to look at today, the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, not his biological son, his spiritual son, Timothy. And Timothy is a man with a deep, resonant, 
backstory with Jesus. I mean, a powerful story with Jesus. This is a guy that we know has, he's a third generation Christian, and that is, uh, Christianity is 30 years old at this point. The resurrection of Jesus was 30 years in the back, in the past. And this guy already is a third generation, which means that his grandmother and his mom, like probably, if they didn't know Jesus directly, they at least were there at the very beginning with the apostles. And can you just imagine how cool that would be if your grandmother had been at Pentecost? You know, and a bit like when the Spirit fell and everyone's speaking in tongues and she's part of that 5,000 that comes to the Lord that day and begins discipleship with Jesus right there. Like, and that's his backstory. He's had Paul lay his hands on him and, and, and pray literal gifts of the Spirit into his body. And I would imagine that was a very intense experience to go through. And he has this just deep old story, well-worn, full of power. He's been on the edges and the fringes of this stuff his whole life. He's only known really this, and yet he's grown in this letter. He's grown afraid and timid. He's dealing with shame. He's worried. He's shrinking back, and we don't know why exactly. Paul mentions, like, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me in chains. We don't totally know what's going on here, but we know that this person who had once known what it was like to be plugged into the power source is now feeling very timid and pulled back. And, and I can relate to that. And I love that the Apostle Paul, an old man at this point, in his 60s, covered in scars all over his body from floggings and beatings and his hand and feet put in stocks, an old man picks up the pen and writes one last letter before he's beheaded. These are the last words of this man. And he writes it to his son because he knows he needs encouragement, because he knows that he's starting to wane, he's starting to feel like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And I love that we're getting to study this letter together because I think that probably there's a number of us in here who need that, who wonder, why are we doing this? You just find yourself here and you look around and like, some people seem to be plugged into something, but I'm not sure what it is. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to find it. I feel so discouraged. I don't know what else to do, so I just come here. And so Paul writes a letter and that letter comes to us today. And it's meant to stir a thing up in us, and I hope it does. We're calling the next four weeks the habits of the church. We've been looking at the church all summer and into the fall, and we will all the way up to Advent. And for the next four weeks, we're just looking at this idea of habit, which is just this reminder that the life that you and I live with God is a life that has to be funded by, by practice, by willed decision, that it's not something that happens in short spurts. It's actually like a, a decision. It's a rhythm. It's a thing that we do. It's a thing you do again and again and again, just you know, like brushing your teeth. You guys, I assume you do that again and again. Like, that's one of those things. So that's what we're going to look at. I want to just pull four fra- or three phrases out of this text, and we'll just look at them one at a time. The first is this. Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. He's not given us a spirit of cowardice. Um, I always grew up with the, uh, the translation, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I mean, they're both great words. They both mean essentially the same thing. Um, it's this idea that like the primary thing that is alive in you is not anxiousness and fretfulness and fear and anxiety and cowardice. That's not the primary thing alive in you. And that's a really interesting word for us today because we live at a time, a cultural moment in which anxiety and fear is like the air everyone breathes. In fact, one of the books that's like very important book to us here at Trinity. It came out 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, written by a Jewish psychologist, psychologist called A Failure of Nerve. The guy's name is Dr. Edwin Freeman, a pioneer in family systems theory. And 
Anyway, I have a whole long summary I want to give you, but it will take up 10 minutes. And so you can buy the book out there, and then we can have coffee afterwards, because the book has changed our lives uh, at Trinity because he so accurately describes the world that we're living in of reactivity and hurting, blame shift, displacement, and then what kind of leaders we get out of that because we have a quick fix mentality and we're, we have no pain threshold as a people. And just, we are constantly, and the news cycle feeds on this. You, I mean, everything about the media, the way that we, like, the, everything, we are just reminded constantly, like, be afraid, be afraid. There's so much to be afraid of. There's so much to be, do you realize how much you could be afraid of? And I think it's important to remember that there are billions of people around the world living today and billions of people who lived before us who have lived in an age of far more imminent threat, like disease that will actually wipe your whole family out and war that is literally at your doorstep, and they have lived with far less anxiety than you and I live. And because of the anxiety that you and I live with, it just stirs up insecurity around every single thing. I mean, have you ever had like a vacation ruined because someone hasn't responded to your text yet? Now that's a silly thing, and yet that is not that far off, right? I mean, like that's the sort of stuff that eats our lunch. We are so riddled with fear and anxiety, panic, fretfulness. We don't even understand anymore that it's possible to live a life where that's not the dominant emotion you're experiencing all the time. Socially, economically, emotionally. It doesn't have to be the the truest thing at the end of the day. God has not given you a spirit of cowardice. That thing that feeds its, like, on fear and worry, that that is not from God. In fact, the Bible speaks to fear 300 times, more than 300 times. The Bible speaks to fear throughout all of it. And every single time it says, don't, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Again and again, it just reinforces this. You don't have to live a life like everyone else is living. You don't have to groan with anxiety. You don't, you don't have to do this. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. And cowardice is actually when we let fear make us smaller, you know? So cowardice, of course, the idea is like it's kind of pulling back. So rather than stepping forward and rather than engaging, we pull back and we make ourselves uh, smaller. It's watching my, my little boy, Asher, who's he's four and a half, but he's surprisingly tall. I mean, it's not that surprising, really, but he's surprisingly tall. And yet to watch a, small, to, to watch a tall person try to make themselves small it's like, I want to be like, bro, it's not going to work. Like, you, you're, you can spend your whole life doing it. But like, just to pull back and to make him, to shrink down and to not own his space and to not be who he is. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. And instead, we constantly, because of, because of the age we live in, because of the decisions we make, because of the way that we give into it, we, we are touchy people. We have low thresholds for pain. We have low capacity for perseverance through it. As Jackie Pollinger, who was an incredible missionary to the Hong Kong, to, to people in Hong Kong, gangs especially, and just lived on the front lines of some of the most violent and dangerous places in China for years and years, she had a famous saying that I think is great. She says, we need to be a people with soft hearts and hard feet. But instead, we are a people um, with hard hearts and soft feet, so easily upset, so easily bothered by things, and yet like so untouchable, so unreachable, not alive internally. Like That's why you can sit here and be like, is there anything going on in me right now? Why am I even here right now? But can be so bothered by a tweet that comes across today, like as though it's the loudest thing in the world. I was reading this week, um, and I came to a proverb 
24:10. I felt like a it felt like a word from the Lord to me. Honestly, I just sat on the couch out there with God this week, and this song, this word came to me. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you know anything about Proverbs, they almost always have like a dual. So like, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. But the one who, you know, triumphs overcome, blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, I can kind of fill it in. It's Hebrew parallelism. It's like I know how to do it. But this one just hangs out there by itself like, a, like just a declaration. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And I just sat there and I looked at it because I've been feeling like going, I'm going through a season of adversity. I'm struggling through a number of things right now. And I just looked at it. And, and yet I find myself like so easily like, like sort of fainting essentially, you know, like, oh, you know, that sort of thing. They're like, oh, this is hard. Oh, I wish this were easier or whatever it is. So I'm reading this and I just hear the spirit say like, is your strength small, Matthew? If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Is your strength small, Matthew? And I was like, no, you're my strength. But when I'm not tapped into that, when I'm not living off of that strength, when I'm living instead of the spirit of cowardice and the spirit of fear, the spirit that shrinks me down, the spirit that makes life feel too hard and too complicated and too un- undoable or too do- livable, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. Instead, second point, God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control or self-discipline, as our Bibles say it. <clears throat> it's a good word for us. Uh, whenever we say God has given us a spirit of power, people will rightly go, ah, trigger word. And it's like, right. And it should be because people abuse power all the time, especially people in the church. And in the name of God, terrible things are done all the time. Um, which is why the, the trio is so important. It's not a, pow- a spirit of power. It's a spirit of power and love and self-control, self-discipline. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a power, though. It's an actual, like, move, like, earth mover power, like the sort of power that does stuff and gets stuff done. Like, it is a force to be reckoned with, but the engine it, the, that's running it is love. And love is always the desire to will the good of the other, to believe the best about the other, to choose to endure through hardship. Love is always the choice of the other over myself. And if I was using my power in that way, suddenly people wouldn't be so afraid that I was just looking to profit in some way or to self-aggrandize. I wasn't making it about me. It was actually I was using the resources and the energy and the power that God has given me only for the sake of others and for the sake of love. And then that third thing, it's funded by what? By self-discipline, which is so cool. This idea that like the thing, like this sort of life of a powerful, loving life, the sort of life that I know you wish you had, like the sort of effect you could have on a person. I mean, I feel this with all sorts of people I meet with, with my family, with my kids, with my neighbors, just an, an, an ineptitude, an anemic, like I can't have what I wish I could have with this person. And it's like, You've not been given a spirit of smallness, a spirit of cowardice, a spirit of anxiousness. You've been given a spirit of power that is powered by love. In other words, it's going to bless and enrich a person, and it is funded by a life of self-discipline and control. It's not something that you can just call up in a minute, like not do any work leading up to it, and then suddenly find it in yourself. It's something that's going to be growing constantly inside of you. Power and love and self-control. And Paul reminds Timothy, this is what is true in you. This is what you have. And so what, I guess I'll just ask this, like what season of adversity might you be going through right now? And I mean, you know, right? But like what are the places where you're experiencing 
um, friction, resistance? Where are the places where you're uh, easily depleted? What are the relationships and the people in which you're experiencing uh, timidity, where it's making you smaller, not larger? If rather than shrinking back and cowering or anxiously fretting, there was instead a sense in me of controlled, disciplined love that had deep, powerful impact, how different would that be? If I could have that at my disposal, where does it come from? He tells us it comes from the spirit. It's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. Who is the spirit of love? What is the spirit of love? It's the spirit of God. The spirit of love is the spirit of God, the spirit of power. This is what has come to us in Christ. In John chapter 20, this, um, it's at the end of the gospel, and at the end of the gospel of John. And you should just read it this week. It's really great. Jesus shows up, and in, uh, he shows up in the upper room, and, and people are still really surprised by this because um, he was dead, remember? And so uh, there he is, alive, and, and we're having dinner. And so he shows up, and he begins to breathe on them. Very cool. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the word actually is the same word from the Eucharist liturgy. Take, eat, this is my body. He, he said, it's the exact same. It's the, in the Greek, it's the same compound. He says, take, eat the Holy Spirit. Take, receive, do the work, pull it towards you. And to just imaginatively begin to, to put yourself in a place where when you're feeling adversity, when you're feeling fatigued, when you're feeling withdrawn, when you're feeling, to just imagine Jesus is exhaling and you're invited to, to inhale that spirit. That that's actually what his intention in that moment is for you to begin to draw deep breaths that are pulling in the thing that Jesus is exhaling. And how cool would that be to actually be able to do that, to breathe in what he just breathed out. That's exactly what he says you and I have at our disposal in the Holy Spirit, that the thing that funded Jesus's life and power and self-control, the thing that funded him, he now breathes out into the universe and gives to you and me. And Paul says, I want you to remember that. That's, that is actually foundational. That's when you grow timid, when you don't know what the way forward, this is what is true. You have in your lungs the breath of Jesus. And so he gives um, a number of action words, the third point. He says throughout this, he says, therefore rekindle and rely and guard. I love it because it's so, well, I mean, I love it because I love, I love, I'm an activator and I like doing stuff and I feel great when I do stuff. But Paul gives doing words here. He says, I want you to do some stuff. If you've ever been camping, I hope you've been camping. Camping's the greatest especially in this weather. If you've ever been camping, you know the feeling when you wake up and you walk over and the thing that had been a fire when you were going to sleep is now a pile of gray ash. You, know? you don't have to go camping to experience this. It's just better there. So anyway, you wake up and you look at it, it's now a pile of gray ash and you go, oh, okay. Now, if you've never, maybe there's a tiny little plume of smoke, but probably it's just, it's just dead. Now, if you, um, if you didn't know better, you'd go like, oh man, I want a fire. Well, I guess I have to start over again. And then you go and you get all your, whatever you, whatever you brought, whatever, whatever you brought. Anyway, so you, you, but here's the thing, here's the thing. And you probably know where I'm going with this, but this is the thing that's so great about it is that underneath that blanket of ash are coals. 
And all you got to do is put a little bit of kindling on those coals and just begin to go. And it'll be like you have dragon breath. It just catches. It's amazing. You might have dragon breath at that point of the day. But it's incredible what happens. It's, uh, it's just incredible. It's the greatest thing. That's the, picture that, that's the picture Paul gives us. He says, you have to be active. He's like, I know it looks like there's nothing going on right now. I know it looks like it's just a blanket of ash. But I'm telling you, put a little bit of kindling on there. Stoop low and blow. And just see what happens. I want you to rekindle. He says, I want you to do the work to believe that there is a fire still alive and I'm going to do everything in my power to blow it back into life. Now, some of us in here go like, I don't know if I've ever felt that way. I don't know if I've ever felt like there was a fire at all. Well, kindling takes a lot longer than rekindling, right? It takes a lot greater patience. I mean, not, you know, if you have, you know, lighter fluid, but you know, there's no lighter fluid here. You got to do it the hard way, you know? But once the fire is there, he's like, what are you doing to rekindle he uses another word, rely, to become a person who's increasingly relying on. What are you doing to rekindle these things? When you feel timid, when your heart runs dry, there's no song to sing anymore. You don't feel love. You don't feel desire. You don't want anything for God. What do you do? He says you, he says you believe that there's still a hot coal in there, and you get down on your knees, and you just let God do his thing which is why we're starting the series on the habits of the church with this word, to remind you that even when it feels like there's no point in doing this, to coming to church, to worshiping, to listening to worship music, to praying, to reading your Bible, even when it feels like there's no point, even if you can't, if it just helps you imaginatively to put yourself in a moment, in that place, and to recognize, I don't know what I'm doing right now, and you go, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm blowing on a pile of ash, and I'm just trusting there's a coal underneath it. And there may not be a fire that sparks today or this week, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do the work anyway. The habits of the church is a practice of regular daily work to fan into flame the thing that God has given to us. So I thought maybe for a couple minutes it might just be helpful to tell you how I do it. Um, this is how I do it. This is what I do. When I wake up, and I have, uh, I have four kids, and waking up before my boys is a game that I lose nearly every day. <laughs> it's honest. So it might be like, it literally might be like 7.30 or 8 o'clock before I ever get to this, you know? And I've already at that point, like, driven 20 miles and made several breakfasts and lunches and showered and all sorts of stuff, you know? Uh, I think it's great if you can just start your day this way. I saw on Twitter a while ago this great little thing. It said, what if we began every day, rather than fumbling sleepily for our phones, we began but fumbling for our Bibles? I just love that picture. It just stuck with me. Like, that's a great... Yeah, like, who cares what the weather is? You go outside, you'll figure it out, you know? Like, you don't even know. You don't, you don't even know. Um, anyway, so I've been reading through the Bible in a year. I've been using this um, reading plan from Holy... Trinity Brompton out in London, where, who makes the Alpha Course, and so I've been reading, I'm almost, I mean, it's October now, so we're, I'm pretty, pretty far along, almost done with the New Testament, in the major prophets, and so I just wake up, and whenever I finally get to do this, I open my Bible, and I do the readings, that's it, you guys know how to read, I do the readings, and, um, 
And when something stands out to me, like I mark it with one of these very, very handy Micron 0.01 point pens, which are archival. And, I, I just, and then I just sit with what I just marked, with what I underlined, with what I circled. I just imagine that it's like, it's something for me. I just sit with it. It's like Proverbs 24.10 this week. And then I pray. And I open my hands up like this, and I say, come Holy Spirit, speak. What's in my, what are you putting on my heart? Do you have anything to say today to me? And then you wait for a long time. It's going to feel like a long time. It's probably going to be 60 seconds. It's going to feel like a long time. And maybe something happens and maybe it doesn't. And I pray through the Lord's Prayer and I just sort of pause along the way and use that as an outline. I pray for my people. I pray for you all. I pray for this room. I pray for what God's doing in this space. And then at some point I just kind of get the sense of like, all right. And then that's it. I say amen. And I, do, I go about my day. And then I have started recently to, uh, to employ technology to remind me several times throughout the day to, to actually pray. And so one of the people on our staff team uh, sent this app out a month or so ago, and I've been using it. It's great. If you have, it's, uh, it's an iPhone app, but I'm sure there's equivalents on, on galaxies and stuff. Anyway, um, you should get it. It's free. It will remind you at several points in the day to pray, and it'll give you a quick five-minute prayer, because what are you doing? You're reminding yourself all day long that the thing that Jesus has exhaled, you're inhaling, and you're going to forget it. So I do it again at 1.30, I do it again at 5, and I do it again before I go to bed. And it just takes a couple minutes, and I'm just reorienting myself in the story again and again and again. I'm putting myself back where I belong again and again and again. And I do it when I don't want to do it, and I do it when my heart runs dry, and I, when I, I feel like there's nothing alive in me. And sometimes I literally just look at my phone, and it's like, it's, it's, it's time to pray. You're like, I don't want to pray. And so, I'll, but I just like, all right, Father who art in heaven. And I just take the time to do it. And look, I don't do it perfectly. Um, I think about what I listen to a lot. I've, I want to just listen to NPR all the time. Um, like, I just like information, and I, it's very easy for me. I, it's a discipline for me. I listen to more and more worship music now, because if I don't, my heart just is constantly embittered. It's constantly pulled into the things of this world, the things that feel like they're everything. I actually need to be reminded that there's a larger story I'm living in than a 2020 election cycle, that there's a larger story I'm living in than whatever happens to be going on in that moment. But that's actually the true world I live in. I have to be reminded of it. And I'll just say, you're like, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like it's like kind of affecting your whole day and like what you listen to and what you read. Like, yep, it totally is. Like, I want, I want to have a life that feels plugged into the power source. And my way of doing that, and the way that I know how to do that, is to do this stuff. To, to habituate myself in such a way that I'm going back to it again and again, even when I feel so flat and dry and, and lifeless. Which just means that my word to you is like, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. Keep going. Like, keep going. Don't, don't throw in the towel. Don't think that, just don't write it off that it means nothing. To give you, a, in conclusion, this little line from the message, Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 5.3 in a way that I have loved this for years. He says, every morning, you'll hear me at it again. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar. 
and I watch for fire to descend. And just to begin to imagine that that's your life. Like, so why don't we actually, let's say that together, even if it's not true for you. Like, say it as an act of faith. Like, kind of speak it over your life. If you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to, you know. But if you want to, if you want it to be true, so let's say it together. Every morning, you'll hear me at it again. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. If you're able, let's stand up together and just stand before the Lord for a moment. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. I'm Matthew Brown, the parish pastor here at Trinity in Decatur. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ-likeness. And you can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting our website, atltrinity.org. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Have a great week.